This is Podcast Perspectives, a show about the latest news in the podcast industry and the people behind it. I'm your host, Jeff Umbro, the founder and CEO of The Podglomerate. Most weeks on the show, we'll do a deep dive into the audio industry by speaking with one person who is making waves, whether they're creating a network, building a product, or helping creators get paid. But for today's episode, I want to zoom out and take stock of the past, present, and future of the podcast industry. To cover this all, I have a great panel of experts with us today. We have Alex Goldman, formerly a co-host and producer of Gimlet's Reply All. We have Amrita Khalid, head writer of Hot Pod, the largest podcast newsletter brought to you by The Verge. And we have Rachel King, founder and CEO of Pod People, a full-service podcast production agency. Now let's get to the show. Thank you everyone for joining us today. This should be a really fun episode. I, I'm kind of thinking about the podcast industry in, in three cross sections today. One being the 2010s, so like specifically 2014 in the era of serial through 2020, which I would call like, I don't know, the era of acquisitions. And then at some point we're going to get to today in the future. So thinking back to early podcasting in 2014, I actually wanted to start with Alex. Podcasting really kind of became like the next big thing in media for whatever reason. A lot of different organizations started to really put more energy, time, resources, money, people behind it. And I think, Alex, your story, hosting Reply All, working at Kimlet through the transition to Spotify, being in public radio before that is is really like a nice indication of like kind of that thread. So I was hoping you could give us a little bit of a background of kind of like where you saw yourself in the media and, and then specifically like how a show like Reply All worked back then as opposed to like how something like that might work today. I don't know how it would work today, honestly. Where I saw myself in, in the media, I don't know. I saw myself as, I mean, I was like a grunt at WNYC that got plucked from Scarity by Alex Bloomberg to go and do this thing that like, you know, when they started it, they were like, we have this amount of runway. We might be broke in six months. We might not. And just, we were lucky that our show came out during the original run of Serial and had staying power. Like it was, that was a very lucky period of time. I've never felt on time to anything before that. And that that is the only time that I've ever felt that in my career. I don't know. It was also like a pretty scrappy operation when we started. There were four of us. I, I mean, at the time it just felt you, we were just like scrappy upstarts. Do you remember how people kind of thought of podcasting when you were at WNYC? <laughs> I remember that they thought of it as like a loss leader, like an afterthought. Like it was a, it, with the exception of Radiolab, everything was very focused on the terrestrial radio side of things. And even though the listenership had already started to decline at that point, it wasn't a situation where people were giving it that kind of thought. I think Radiolab was a big podcast hit. And then not long after I left, they had a couple big hits. Two Dope Queens came on pretty big and Death, Sex and Money was it was its own thing. But beyond those two things, like I still to this day don't know if they've ever gotten it. Like I don't know if they know what makes a good <laughs> podcast at WNYC. And I say that with no disrespect. I don't I think it's hard to know the answer to that. But like if they didn't the CEO at the time called us in for a meeting and said, hey, would you guys consider staying? And we were like, well, are you going to give us raises or give us a budget? And she was like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, then no, we won't consider staying. Sorry. It's it's easy to look at hindsight and say, like, they had gold that they just gave away. But I don't know. I'm kind of curious from your point of view. Like, I know Alex Bloomberg came to you guys and asked you if you were interested in doing this. But, like, did you say yes because they were going to let you do the thing that you wanted to do? Or did you say yes because you saw like podcasting is the future? 
I didn't think of podcasting as the future necessarily. It was more just like he was going to let us make the show we wanted to make. And we got to have Alex Bloomberg from This American Life and Giant Pool of Money, et cetera, et cetera, as our editor. He said for a year and the, but, you know, then he had to make a business. So it ended up being six months. But still, six months of having Alex Bloomberg as an editor was like very formative and helped me become a better radio producer. So that made it worth it. And for Amrita. I don't know, like in this window of time, like the 2014 to 2016, 17 area, what you were writing about um, specifically, but I don't believe it was audio. Yeah, no, I was I was reporting on the Hill in 2014. It was kind of a different time. But one thing I will say about that period is that smartphone uptake increased rapidly. People were buying smartphones, could listen to podcasts on the go. And also people were spending more time on apps, on social media in general, on Twitter, Instagram. We saw kind of like this increase of people just being extremely online. And I almost feel like when Serial came out, like I remember being in the car with my friend when it came out and it was just unlike anything I'd ever heard of at that point. It just kind of reached us through audio in a way that we hadn't been accustomed to. But, you know, just along with like being extremely online, you know, I think Reply All found this audience that was very extremely online and managed to give them a podcast that had incredibly timely like internet reporting as well. Um, Yeah, I I had never seen anything like that before. So that was definitely something that was unique. Yeah, there was a moment where online or techiness kind of became cool. And at least, you know, in my experience, everybody started paying attention because they wanted to know what was like part of the culture or the zeitgeist or, or whatever you want to call it. When it comes to podcasting specifically, Amrita, it sounds like you had a couple of like touch points with shows that like resonated with you. But was there ever a moment where you looked at the industry as a whole and you kind of said, oh, this is going to be something? Oh, definitely. Um, around like 2018, you know, I was still doing some freelancing for The Daily Dot. So The Daily Dot writes about creators, right? And so there was this kind of shift from around 2018, 2019. You kind of saw the lines getting blurred a bit. People who started off as influencers creating YouTube channels or creating podcasts, we saw entire brands invest in their podcast divisions. And so we saw a lot of new content. Podcasting, as we had known it, had its roots in public radio, right? Now we saw kind of new people throwing time and money into podcasts. There was a moment where for me personally, like I looked at it and said, oh, this is going to be huge. Not because of any knowledge of the business or anything, but just because I re- liked listening to it a lot and I couldn't stop. And I saw a lot of other people kind of in that same boat. And Rachel, I know you have a very similar experience historically to me where you were in podcasting for fun and then you turned it into a business. So you started Pod People in 2017, which was kind of like right in the middle of this window of time. Why did you decide that then was the moment to move ahead and do this? It's really selfish. I just wanted to. Um, So I was running a PR firm before this focused on early stage tech startups with underrepresented founders and previously had been the head of communications or worked in content marketing across all different sort of mediums, like I got my career started in doing social media for brands because I was doing it for fun and blogging for fun and realized that like brands were going to need to figure out how to do that in a way that didn't suck. And so, you know, over the years, just kept doing that in different mediums. And finally, I had the same moment with Serial where I was making a show for fun with a friend. We'd done 100 episodes, but it was totally a hobby thing. And finally, after Serial, I went to work at my startup and everyone was talking about it. People who thought I was insane for having a podcast, listening to podcasts, were now like water coolering about the show Serial. 
And so that just to me was the tipping point where I was like, okay, this is going to go mainstream. People are going to get on board and therefore brands will have to figure it out. And just selfishly, like audio storytelling is my favorite kind of work to create, to consume. That's how I like to learn. That's how I like to hear stories. And so I just sort of forced my way in from, you know, startup tech world and tried to find a co-founder who came from sort of the NPR radio world. And no one was crazy enough to take that leap of faith with me. I remember a couple people I talked to said, well, what's my salary? And I was like, no, no. There's no salary. It's whatever we sell through. And I talked to friends who were in the startup space and they all thought I was insane, that the market opportunity wasn't big enough. But I'm glad I didn't care and just decided to do it anyway, because, you know, here we are six years later and I I don't think anyone could argue with the market market opportunity at this point, especially through COVID, through, you know, the almost recession, like the market has continued to grow in every single way, every single metric. Prior to 2020, people were kind of calling the audio industry the Wild West, podcasting specifically, because Nobody really knew what was going to happen. And you had all of these people who were kind of exploring these wild business models. You know, you had Gimlet, you had The Ringer, you had Wandery, who were taking, you know, venture money, making these like shows that everybody loved. But there wasn't necessarily yet a business model to reflect how it was going to become profitable beyond just the idea of we're going to sell a bunch of ads and, and maybe it'll work. So fast forward to 2020. All of this got supercharged because of COVID and because of, you know, some other like external factors. We saw a lot shift in that window of time from, you know, the previous 10 years and then over the next three years. So Amrita, I wanted to ask you from your vantage point as somebody who has been like kind of exploring the industry and really paying attention to the growth and the consolidation since the growth, what happened to the podcast industry during the pandemic? Sure. So um, the pandemic changed a few things. So first of all, obviously, drove up an increase in podcast listening in the U.S. and globally. More people were at home, more people were listening to podcasts. But um, another thing it did, it also kind of recruited new casual listeners to the medium. Um, People, again, had more downtime, so they had more time to experience new things. It also drew more people to creating podcasts, so kind of new creators to the scene. For example, Tink's was uh, kind of discovered around this time. Um, A lot of people just had time at home and could also create stuff. Celebrities, actors, musicians who didn't have like a usual outlet anymore started to go into podcasts. And then obviously spring of 2020, podcast listening began to creep up and that, that, that momentum kind of stayed consistent throughout 2021. And then we also saw Spotify pledge to spend a billion on podcasts. And so that kind of maintained throughout 2020. So we saw them acquire The Ringer, sign a whole bunch of content deals with Kim Kardashian. We saw Meghan Markle and Chris Harry around this year. They were spending um, a lot. Um, They acquired Megaphone, I believe, in 2020 as well. 
And then 2022 is kind of strange in that I feel like it was kind of the first year that people thought, you know, I'm going to make up for the life that I missed (laughs) during the pandemic. And so we saw people kind of spend more time outdoors, like Netflix lost a record number of subscribers, I believe, in 2022. People were kind of on the other end of the spectrum, just embracing more outdoor activities, you know, going to work. So we saw podcast listenership kind of drop last year. But I feel like what happened this year, this is According to Infinite Dial, um, we saw podcast listening increase again. So I think like the latest Infinite Dial survey from March, a total of 31% of listeners in the US listened to a podcast in the last week, which is the highest it's ever been. And so, yeah, we're seeing people kind of settle into their new routines. More people are listening to it again after like kind of abandoning it maybe last year. I, I'm wondering if you have any insight into like who are the kinds of people who are making these podcasts in the last few years and who are the kinds of people who are listening? It changes um, a little bit. I mean, I feel like it has changed. I mean, like what we thought of as a podcast has kind of changed. Um, We're seeing, you know, YouTube podcasts have exploded and, you know, Gen Z sees YouTube as kind of the primary place to, you know, watch podcasts and But we also saw huge deals, mainly through Spotify, uh, Joe Rogan. We saw kind of this like cult of personality surrounding podcasters emerge, I feel like, in the past few years. The whole like parasocial relationship with podcasters, I think, became much more apparent in the past couple of years. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend um, came out in like 2018. But during the pandemic, a lot of listeners just started really relying on that podcast as a way to kind of like keep their spirits up. Um, You saw a lot of people kind of develop relationships like that during the pandemic where they might have one or two favorite podcasts that they felt really helped them kind of get up in the morning and maintain maybe a sense of routine. At its heart, there was a just a huge investment in the podcast industry within this like window of time. And that went both for companies investing in acquiring other companies or investing in the space or giving money to creators, celebrities or otherwise, in order to make new shows. And this is a question for everybody, but was that misguided or short-sighted at that point? Like Alex, for example, Spotify purchased Gimlet initially. And, and since then, I'm I'm definitely curious, like, did you look at that as a good thing? No. No. I didn't want to be bought by Spotify. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I just wanted to keep making my show. We were successful. We were doing fine. I think that the problem with this industry and pretty much every other industry is if you look at the big successes, it's never like a podcast company being like, okay, check it out. We have spotted a hole in the market that needs to be filled, so we're going to make this kind of podcast. It's always people who are like i have an idea for a thing i want to make and they get the money to do it and it becomes successful look at that across the entire history of podcasts big budget podcasts and small podcasts it's always been that way if you look at gimlet the successful shows mystery show reply all heavyweight crime town all original ideas that came to the company and asked for the money to produce it all the stuff that they decided to develop in-house didn't hit I mean, it's the same case with everything from like the Joe Rogan show to normal gossip. It's like everything that's successful is a person who has a passion for something who then gets the opportunity to make it. And so I just feel like if you dump a bunch of money into something, that doesn't mean it's going to be the next big thing. In the same way that Netflix had the Duffer Brothers making this passion project where they wanted to make Stranger Things. And I'm not saying that there are a lot of bad, like that every show that is not hit on Netflix is bad, but like... They threw so much money at so many people trying to fill so many niches and very few of them have been successful. It's because people were passionate about the things they were making. 
And I think that's true across everything. No matter how much money you throw at something, unless people are super passionate about it, it is not sustainable. <laughs> I mean, even the like Marvel Cinematic Universe is like on its knees right now because it is an assembly line. It's not something that someone is making because they have a vision. Rachel, I don't know if you want to provide a counterpoint to that, but my, my question for you specifically is that at Pod People, you guys, in addition to many other things, create branded shows for folks who are trying to like find their little niche in the market. Obviously, you believe in that idea, and we can bring a lot of value to listeners through creating something that may be a little bit more commercial than like a passion project for someone. Is there an argument to be made that that helps to, uh, you know, sustain the industry just by providing more jobs and opportunity for people? Yeah, I think especially in the last year or two, you can see even more clearly how every piece of the industry has to play together and everything has to be diversified, right? Like even in the last two years, I've seen so many production companies, ones that I really respect, but how, who were traditionally doing original content, limited series narrative with the bet that they were going to be able to adapt it into TV and film, now shopping their services on the branded side, which is interesting, right? I'm like, yeah, it's not so bad over here. Or even just diversifying from straight up ad revenue to subscriptions or doing more focus on community building and making sure that you have, you know, that engaged few thousand fans as opposed to going really wide. And I think that's all good. I think everyone should be diversifying to make this industry super healthy. This question is from Rita, but anybody can answer should they choose to. Are we in a bubble? Uh, no. I mean, I think if anything, the bubbles kind of burst, right? I think what we are seeing is that just by necessity of the big players, maybe not securing as many creators, like more people are kind of going independent, looking at Patreon and other ways like subscription-based models to make money. And other creators might just see it as a way to kind of reach even more of their audience. And so by necessity of just the way the market is right now, a lot of people are kind of just seeing podcasts as a not just strictly as a way to make money, but as another way to kind of expand their reach. A podcast is just one of several ways to kind of get your ideas out there for a large subsection of creators, I think. Yeah, I think we're through whatever. I don't know that I'd even call it a bubble. I think some dumb money got poured into the industry and then there was a correction and now we're through it or getting almost through it, which is great. Alex, you have written pretty openly on your Substack about how your personal trajectory, uh, career trajectory, reflects a lot of the broader trends in the industry. Do you feel that people have the ability today to make a living in podcasting? Yeah, I think that people have uh, the ability to make a living, but I think it's probably on the order of like, you know, the number of people who can make a living from TikTok or YouTube, like it's vanishingly small. Or books. Or books or movies or acting, <laughs> basically anything creative. Like I think that there is a long tail of people who can make a couple bucks doing it here and there, but I think that for the most part, it's actually really, really difficult. And, and again, I think that everybody is right that like we're on the other side of a, a bubble bursting. We saw tons of layoffs this year. Um, especially in like the narrative podcast realm where I come from. And I think we we are starting to see people sort of their appetites come back a little bit. But this year has been really, really grim. I mean, everybody I know lost their jobs in July. Like Gimlet shut down. It's gone. And maybe five out of the 120 people I knew who had jobs at Gimlet still have jobs. But I mean, you know, I, I feel like um, 
I feel like any industry, there's like ebbs and flows, and we are in it. We are definitely in, in or just over the hump of a, an ebb, and it's a hard time to make a living in it. Partially because the money's not there, and partially just because of the incredible volume of podcasts out there right now, and the fact that no podcast app has ever managed to crack the the discoverability components of podcasts. Like no one has ever been able to do a fantastic job of of making it possible to find the podcasts that would be the ones you want. I also think that because, I mean, to your point about podcasts becoming so saturated, um, I feel like listeners are a little bit less loyal now, too. If you go on Reddit, a lot of times people be like, so what's a podcast that's like Crime Junkie? Or I'm kind of sick of X podcast. Can people recommend some podcasts that are a lot like X podcast was, you know, during the first season? So it's almost like people don't necessarily need to stick with one podcast for the long haul anymore because there are so many options. I agree with everything that all of you said. And, and Alex, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, hope you and, and all of your people are also doing okay. But yeah, to your point, Alex, I think that there's never going to be enough real estate to really highlight every show that deserves to be highlighted. So that's, we'll, we'll call that, you know, kind of phase two of podcasting. And now I want to look a little bit towards the future. So we have just come out of this amazing like boom bust period, ebb and flow. And all of the indicators that that I'm seeing are showing that we're probably going to like continue that upward trajectory again in the industry as a whole. One of the questions that I have, and this is from Rita, but again, anybody can answer as well. Do you feel that the industry as a whole is a little bit stagnant right now? Are we lacking some of the innovation that we've seen in the last decade? I felt like that sentiment was kind of apparent during podcast movement. You know, more than a couple of people I spoke to, one who had been going to podcast movement since 2016, noted that this year felt kind of stagnant, uh, no real disruptors, no real information. And I, I think this year has been kind of tough because, you know, kind of the lack of like any outside disruptors has kind of made it seem like it is more stagnant, but I also think that this has been kind of a catch-up year as far as, you know, people kind of returning to their normal listening habits. Obviously, like, there won't be as much, like, VC money, but that can actually kind of normalize things a bit. So, um, you know, I I think it's tough to kind of use this year as a measuring point again, because I do think the future is going to look very different. One kind of aside, Amrita, as well, is um, when Ariel comes back to Hot Pod, are you going to continue to write about the audio industry? I'm going to try to. Um, I'm not actually quite sure um, as far as like what the future plan is. But, you know, I loved covering the podcast industry. I mean, it's been so unique in so many ways because um, it's so small and so like passionate. And there, there are so many stories that I feel like don't get covered because there are so few reporters kind of focusing on it full time. So, yeah, no, I'd love to continue to keep covering it. It's, it's definitely something that's been really intriguing for me. I love it. Rachel. What are you planning for Pod People's strategy moving forward? Is it going to be more of the same or are you planning on shifting at all based on where the industry has gone for your particular kind of work? Yeah, we are planning on slow, steady, responsible growth, which is boring and probably not sexy. But I mean, even this year, we've managed to grow 40% just wow. plugging away. A lot of that is new tangential services that we started last year and are now ramping up. We do a lot more social content production than we used to. 
related to the podcast, obviously clipping out the show, but also original, which has been super fun and so effective for making sure that the show goes far and wide and gets all kinds of eyes and ears. Now I feel like we know what we're really good at. We have the right team. And so just growing responsibly, I think, is the key word for the year. You know, everyone's got to figure out their business model and then stick with it. And I do think that we'll start to see not dumb money, but investment <laughs> come back next year. I agree that like this year is the year of rate sizing, of figuring out what is sustainability look like. And then I think we'll see some more luminary type schemes coming back in next year. Not necessarily the same thing, but like an outsider funded by VC who thinks that they can completely change the game in terms of discovery <laughs> or in terms of building the Netflix or HBO for podcasts. And I'd love to see it. Why not? You know, I think there's still lots of opportunities to shake things up if it's done in a more strategic way. And I guess I just have to ask as well, because you're kind of the perfect sized company for the conversation of like podcast rollups and mergers. Do you think that we're going to see more of that in the future? Or do you think that that's kind of behind us at this point? That being the idea of like kind of combining smaller companies to make a greater whole? I think we're going to see a few more fire sales and mergers out of necessity in the next couple months. And then I do think next year we'll start to see some more strategic. I mean, Chris Peterson over at Download Media, that was really exciting to see. And he's awesome. So I can't wait to see what they do because he is someone who comes from this world who actually understands how you should deploy capital. And so I'm excited to see people from the industry, hopefully, who've like, made their nut in one way or another, invest it back in instead of outsiders coming in who are just trying to make podcasting look like TV and film. And that didn't work, right? So I, I think that we're going to see a couple more consolidations out of necessity. And then I think next year we'll start to see some more interesting things, you know, injections of cash or new companies that know what they're doing, which would be really cool. Alex, you wrote in your Substack that you kind of see two ways forward for yourself as a, a producer and creator. It's either creating an always-on show and finding someone to partner with to help produce that and pay for it, or crowdfunding your next like initiative. A, do you have a preference? And B, do you still feel that way? I mean, from all the conversations I've had, it, that's kind of the options. And if I'm honest, like the thing that you have to take as, as a huge grain of salt is like of the people on this call, I am truly the stupidest when it comes to business. I don't know anything about business and I don't want to. Like I don't, I truly like don't like it. I don't understand it. I just like want to make a podcast. And I was very lucky that I made one that was successful and would like to try and parlay that into making another one that's successful. And I have like incredible respect for everyone on this call and their abilities to make things happen in a way that I absolutely can my dream would be to be able to not have to do an always on show, but also have someone work with me and handle the financial aspects of it. But the idea of having to manage the financial aspects of it on my own are like a lot scarier to me than just having to be always on, having to make more stuff. But yeah, the idea of crowdfunding, and I have thought about it because like I do think that there's like a lot to be said for places like Defector or even people who are just doing Patreon who like are fully self-funded and are like really doing it for themselves and it's not there's no push for like infinite growth, et cetera, et cetera. I really like the idea of growing slowly and deliberately because it, yes, it might be a little boring, but like it's smart. 
But I can't do that myself. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the patience or the organizational skills. If I actually panned this camera around this room, you would see how what a complete mess it is. And it would give you <laughs> a clue as to like what goes on inside my head. Like that's not, it's just not possible for me. So like, I think the plan is still to try and partner with someone to make something. That's probably always on. Thank you again to all of our guests for joining us today. You can find Alex Goldman, of course, on Reply All in their catalog episodes or on Twitter at Alex Goldmund, G-O-L-D-M-U-N-D. You can find Amrita Khalid at TheVerge.com or the Hot Pod newsletter. And you can find Rachel King by Googling pod people or by checking them on all the social medias. Have questions, tips, or podcast recommendations? You can follow me on all of the socials at Jeff Umbro. Podcast Perspectives is a production of The Podglomerate. If you're looking for help producing, distributing, or monetizing your podcast, you can find us at podglomerate.com, shoot us an email at listen at thepodglomerate.com, or follow us on all social platforms at podglomerate. Thank you to Chris Boniello, Henry Lavoie, and Jordan Aaron for producing this show. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next week. <laughs>